A few weeks ago, I was reading in John 4, that moment when Jesus sits down by the well in Samaria and along comes the woman and they have this back and forth, back and forth, and eventually she gets the whole town and they come and they all exclaim, he is the Messiah. Well, I was reading in that pretty familiar chapter and suddenly I was struck in a way I'd never been struck by how it actually played out, how their interchange was constructed. If you just look at the language, the responses, here's what I mean. The first thing that happens is that Jesus makes an approach to her. Though he's just sitting there, it's an approach from him to her. And what struck me reading through the narrative is that for every one of his approaches, she has an almost immediate objection. So I want to walk you through that narrative, showing you the approaches and the objections And then we'll kind of wrap it up for our own hearts uh, for this, which is New Year's 2021. So here's the first approach. I call it the approach of his presence. We read, Jesus, tired with the journey, sat down beside the well, just as he was. Then, of course, he says, please give me a drink. That's presence. That's simply being there. What's her objection? First of all, it's just social. The Samaritan woman said to him, how can you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? I find it fascinating that one of our first thoughts when we think of the presence of Jesus in our lives day to day is how it's going to affect our social standing, social status, who we are, or at least who we perceive ourselves to be. But you know what? Jesus is relentless. So here comes his next approach. I call it an obvious statement of a spiritual human need and his ability to meet it perfectly. Listen to his words. If you knew what God can give, and if you knew who it is that said to you, give me a drink, I think you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So kind of side-eyeing the well next to him, Jesus ups the ante by talking about living water, the fact that our inner life needs to be watered and that he, this man next to the well, is the only one who can do it. That's his second approach. What's her objection? (laughs) It's practical. It's pragmatic. Sir, said the woman, you have nothing to draw water with and this well is deep. Where can you get your living water? Are you a greater man than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well and drank here himself with his family and his cattle? Friends, I don't think this woman is off base with our typical objection to the ways of the kingdom of heaven. Often it's just the pragmatic. Like, how's that going to work? How practically is the kingdom going to break through? How is it going to be on earth as it is in heaven? We object that way all the time. Most of the time it's right there in our heart and our mind. But Jesus won't stop. His next approach, I call it a promise. Listen to what he says. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. For my gift will become a spring in the man himself, welling up into eternal life. Friends, that's not only a promise to that woman on that sunny, hot day, That is the promise of Jesus, that if we try to fill ourselves up with the ways of the world, with this physical water, with this wealth, whatever it might be, he says that will run dry. 
but the living water he gives, we will never be thirsty again. That is the promise of Jesus. But what is her objection? Pretty classic. It's cynicism. It's even just skepticism. She says, sir, give me this water so that I may stop being thirsty and not have to come here to draw water anymore. She essentially calls his bluff. (laughs) She says, okay, fine. You have living water? Great. I'm tired of being thirsty. I'm tired of carrying this huge bucket. Okay, go ahead. I'll be a little cynical about your approach. Let's go for it. But then Jesus, and I have found this to be true in my own heart. Maybe you too have found it to be true. He goes straight to his next approach, which is the personal goes straight to our self-identity, who we are, the personal. He says to her, go call your husband and then come back here. Her next objection, and boy, do we use this, is deflection. Ah, I haven't got a husband, the woman answered. She doesn't want to deal in the fact that what we're about to find out is true. So she just simply states it straight out. I I don't have a husband. Hmm. But what's his next approach? And boy, does this hit us all the time. It's straight up truth. He says, You are quite right in saying, I haven't got a husband. For you have had five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband at all. Yes, you spoke the simple truth when you said that. And isn't it wonderful that Jesus in that approach is himself speaking the simple truth. I love that the way that Jesus grabs our heart and oftentimes convicts us is by simply saying to our heart what we know to be true. Yeah, that man's not your husband. And you've had a few before that. It's just true. It's not judging. It's not hateful or spiteful. It's just, hey, let's talk about it. Let's be real. So that was his last approach. Then something happens. And I would call this the interlude moment in this conversation, because in that moment, this woman absolutely realizes that something bigger is occurring in this conversation and with this fleshy man in front of her, because she suddenly says, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. But then she goes straight back to another objection. And this one, it's the religious objection. She says, now our ancestors worshiped on this hillside, but you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Isn't it fascinating that even when this woman, or frankly, we are often talking to God, we raise religious walls in front of him. We say, sure, that's a great promise, God. That's a great truth. But listen, don't forget about our religiosity vis-a-vis you and us. But then this is beautiful. Jesus, his next approach, I would just call it the spirit, meaning his spirit, the Holy Spirit. Listen, believe me, returned Jesus. The time is coming when worshiping the father will not be a matter of on this hillside or in Jerusalem. Nowadays, you are worshiping with your eyes shut. We Jews are worshiping with our eyes open for the salvation of mankind is to come from our race. Yet the time is coming. Yes, and has already come when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in reality. Indeed, the Father looks for men who will worship him like that. God is spirit, and those who worship him can only worship in spirit and in reality. 
Jesus lays before this woman and he, he lays before us, our hearts, that the only way to perfectly interact with him, to worship, is first of all in spirit, by his spirit, in his Holy Spirit, to enter into the manifest presence of God by the spirit that we now know lives in us. And are you ready? She still has one more objection. And I would call this one the theological platitudinal. She goes back to her well-worn little litany and list of all her belief systems. And here's what she says to the savior of the world. Of course, I know that Messiah is coming. You know, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will make everything plain to us. Do you see what she did there? She took this inexplicable presence in front of her and all of his approaches, all the way that he's already cut straight to her heart, and she throws it back to, again, the theological platitudinal. It's the way that sometimes when life feels impossibly hard to us, we just say those little things that are just like these little nice phrases, and we don't really believe them, but we'll just say, well, all things work together for good even if in that moment we don't really believe it. And if sometimes we can disconnect him from the things we want to try and sort of believe about him, that's what we do too. And here's what's so beautiful. It's his final line of approach. It's revelation. I am Christ speaking to you now, said Jesus. He reveals himself. He says, no, 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 no. I am the center of it all. I am the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah. I am the one that you think you're waiting on. Well, guess what? I'm sitting here next to this dusty well in the middle of your town. So friends, what I want for all of us in this new year is that we would actually begin to recognize his lines of approach. Do you recognize that he is present? He's like sitting next to you right now. He's in you right now. Do you hear his little whisper in your inner ear that is stating your spiritual human need and his complete ability to meet it right now perfectly? Do you hear, have you heard his promises? The way that he speaks to your heart and says, listen, I am the answer. Do you know that he knows you personally? That he approaches your inner life, your mind, your heart personally? Can you hear his truth in his word? by his spirit, in fellowship with others who call on his name? And have you opened out your inner heart to say, Holy Spirit, more of you, please. I want to worship in you. And lastly, friends, this year, if this Jesus of Nazareth reveals himself to you, will you be ready? Will you be open? Will you be listening? Or, like the Samaritan woman, will you have social objections, practical objections? Will you walk in cynicism? Will you deflect? Will you go back to the religious spirit? And will you rely on these sort of theological positions that, frankly, you don't fully believe? But regardless of your answer, <laughs> what's so wonderful if you are keeping count during this podcast is that even if you have six objections, he'll always have seven lines of approach. That last time you object, he's going to come back one more time. 
Will you be ready? Thanks for listening.